Chapter Eighteen of Framley Parsonage by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nick Whitley, Purley, United Kingdom. Chapter Eighteen: The New Minister's Patronage. At that time, just as Lady Lufton was about to leave Framley for London, Mark Robarts received a pressing letter inviting him also to go up to the metropolis for a day or two not for pleasure but on business the letter was from his indefatigable friend sowerby my dear robarts the letter ran i have just heard that poor little burslem the barsetshire prebendary is dead we must all die some day you know as you have told your parishioners from the framley pulpit more than once no doubt the stall must be filled up and why should not you have it as well as another it is six hundred a year and a house little burslem had nine but the good old times are gone whether the house is lettable or not under the present ecclesiastical regime i do not know it used to be so for i remember mrs wiggins the tallow chandler's widow living in old stanhope's house harold smith has just joined the government as lord pettybag and could i think at the present moment get this for asking he cannot well refuse me and if you will say the word i will speak to him you had better come up yourself but say the word yes or no by the wires if you say yes as of course you will do not fail to come up you will find me at the travellers or at the house the stall will just suit you will give you no trouble improve your position and give some little assistance towards bed and board and rack and manger yours ever faithfully n sowerby singularly enough i hear that your brother is private secretary to the new lord pettybag i am told that his chief duty will consist in desiring the servants to call my sister's carriage i have only seen harold once since he accepted office but my lady pettybag says that he has certainly grown an inch since that occurrence this was certainly very good-natured on the part of mr sowerby and showed that he had a feeling within his bosom that he owed something to his friend the parson for the injury he had done him and such was in truth the case a more reckless being than the member for west barsetshire could not exist he was reckless for himself and reckless for all others with whom he might be concerned he could ruin his friends with as little remorse as he had ruined himself all was fair game that came in the way of his net but nevertheless he was good-natured and willing to move heaven and earth to do a friend a good turn if it came in his way to do so he did really love mark robarts as much as it was given him to love any among his acquaintance he knew that he had already done him an almost irreparable injury and might very probably injure him still deeper before he had done with him 
that he would undoubtedly do so if it came in his way was very certain but then if it also came in his way to repay his friend by any side-blow he would also undoubtedly do that such an occasion had now come and he had desired his sister to give the new lord pettybag no rest till he should have promised to use all his influence in getting the vacant prebend for mark robarts this letter of sowerby's mark immediately showed to his wife how lucky thought he to himself that not a word was said in it about those accursed money transactions had he understood sowerby better he would have known that that gentleman never said anything about money transactions until it became absolutely necessary i know you don't like mr sowerby he said but you must own that this is very good-natured it is the character i hear of him that i don't like said mrs robarts but what shall i do now fanny as he says why should i not have the stall as well as another i suppose it would not interfere with your parish she asked not in the least at the distance at which we are i did think of giving up old jones but if i take this of course i must keep a curate his wife could not find it in her heart to dissuade him from accepting promotion when it came in his way what vicar's wife would have so persuaded her husband but yet she did not altogether like it she feared that greek from caldicott's even when he came with the present of a prebendal stall in his hands and then what would lady lufton say and do you think that you must go up to london mark oh certainly that is if i intend to accept harold smith's kind offices in the matter i suppose it will be better to accept them said fanny feeling perhaps that it would be useless in her to hope that they should not be accepted prebendal stalls fanny don't generally go begging long among parish clergymen how could i reconcile it to the duty i owe to my children to refuse such an increase to my income and so it was settled that he should at once drive to silverbridge and send off a message by telegraph and that he should himself proceed to london on the following day but you must see lady lufton first of course said fanny as soon as all this was settled mark would have avoided this if he could have decently done so but he felt that it would be impolitic as well as indecent and why should he be afraid to tell lady lufton that he hoped to receive this piece of promotion from the present government there was nothing disgraceful in a clergyman becoming a prebendary of barchester lady lufton herself had always been very civil to the prebendaries and especially to little dr burslem the meagre little man who had just now paid the debt of nature she had always been very fond of the chapter and her original dislike to bishop proudie had been chiefly founded on his interference with the cathedral clergy on his interference or on that of his wife or chaplain considering these things mark robarts tried to make himself believe that lady lufton would be delighted at his good fortune 
but yet he did not believe it she at any rate would revolt from the gift of the greek of caldicott's oh indeed she said when the vicar had with some difficulty explained to her all the circumstances of the case well i congratulate you mr robots on your powerful new patron you will probably feel with me lady lufton that the benefice is one which i can hold without any detriment to me in my position here at framley said he prudently resolving to let the slur upon his friends pass by unheeded well i hope so of course you are a very young man mr robarts and these things have generally been given to clergymen more advanced in life but you do not mean to say that you think i ought to refuse it what my advice to you might be if you really came to me for advice i am hardly prepared to say at so very short a notice you seem to have made up your mind and therefore i need not consider it as it is i wish you joy and hope that it may turn out to your advantage in every way you understand lady lufton that i have by no means got it as yet oh i thought it had been offered to you i thought you spoke of this new minister as having all that in his own hand oh dear no what may be the amount of his influence in that respect i do not at all know but my correspondent assures me mr sowerby you mean why don't you call him by his name mr sowerby assures me that mr smith will ask for it and thinks it most probable that his request will be successful oh of course mr sowerby and mr harold smith together would no doubt be successful in anything they are the sort of men who are successful nowadays well mr robarts i wish you joy and she gave him her hand in token of her sincerity mark took her hand resolving to say nothing further on that occasion that lady lufton was not now cordial with him as she used to be he was well aware and sooner or later he was determined to have the matter out with her he would ask her why she now so constantly met him with a taunt and so seldom greeted him with that kind old affectionate smile which he knew and appreciated so well that she was honest and true he was quite sure if he asked her the question plainly she would answer him openly and if he could induce her to say that she would return to her old ways return to them she would in a hearty manner but he could not do this just at present it was but a day or two since mr crawley had been with him and was it not probable that mr crawley had been sent thither by lady lufton his own hands were not clean enough for a remonstrance at the present moment he would cleanse them and then he would remonstrate would you like to live part of the year in barchester he said to his wife and sister that evening i think that two houses are only a trouble said his wife and we have been very happy here i have always liked a cathedral town said lucy and i am particularly fond of the close 
and barchester close is the closest of all closes said mark there is not a single house within the gateways that does not belong to the chapter but if we are to keep up two houses the additional income will soon be wasted said fanny prudently the thing would be to let the house furnished every summer said lucy but i must take my residence as the terms come said the vicar and i certainly should not like to be away from framley all the winter i should never see anything of lufton and perhaps he thought of his hunting and then thought again of that cleansing of his hands i should not a bit mind being away during the winter said lucy thinking of what the last winter had done for her but where on earth should we find money to furnish one of those large old-fashioned houses pray mark do not do anything rash and the wife laid her hand affectionately on her husband's arm in this manner the question of the prebend was discussed between them on the evening before he started for london success had at last crowned the earnest effort with which harold smith had carried on the political battle of his life for the last ten years the late lord pettybag had resigned in disgust having been unable to digest the prime minister's ideas on indian reform and mr harold smith after sundry hitches in the business was installed in his place it was said that harold smith was not exactly the man whom the premier would himself have chosen for that high office but the premier's hands were a good deal tied by circumstances the last great appointment he had made had been terribly unpopular so much so as to subject him popular as he undoubtedly was himself to a screech from the whole nation the jupiter with withering scorn had asked whether vice of every kind was to be considered in these days of queen victoria as a passport to the cabinet adverse members of both houses had arrayed themselves in a pure panoply of morality and thundered forth their sarcasms with the indignant virtue and keen discontent of political juveniles and even his own friends had held up their hands in dismay under these circumstances he had thought himself obliged in the present instance to select a man who would not be especially objectionable to any party now harold smith lived with his wife and his circumstances were not more than ordinarily embarrassed he kept no racehorses and as lord brock now heard for the first time gave lectures in provincial towns on popular subjects he had a seat which was tolerably secure and could talk to the house by the yard if required to do so moreover lord brock had a great idea that the whole machinery of his own ministry would break to pieces very speedily his own reputation was not bad but it was insufficient for himself and that lately selected friend of his under all these circumstances combined he chose harold smith to fill the vacant office of lord pettybag 
and very proud the lord pettybag was for the last three or four months he and mr supplehouse had been agreeing to consign the ministry to speedy perdition this sort of dictatorship will never do harold smith had himself said justifying that future vote of his as to want of confidence in the queen's government and mr supplehouse in this matter had fully agreed with him he was a juno whose form that wicked old paris had utterly despised and he too had quite made up his mind as to the lobby in which he would be found when that day of vengeance should arrive but now things were much altered in harold smith's views the premier had shown his wisdom in seeking for new strength where strength ought to be sought and introducing new blood into the body of his ministry the people would now feel fresh confidence and probably the house also as to mr supplehouse he would use all his influence on supplehouse but after all mr supplehouse was not everything on the morning after our vicar's arrival in london he attended at the petty bag office it was situated in the close neighbourhood of downing street and the higher governmental gods and though the building itself was not much seeing that it was shored up on one side that it bulged out in the front was foul with smoke dingy with dirt and was devoid of any single architectural grace or modern scientific improvement nevertheless its position gave it a status in the world which made the clerks in the lord pettybag's office quite respectable in their walk in life mark had seen his friend sowerby on the previous evening and had then made an appointment with him for the following morning at the new minister's office and now he was there a little before his time in order that he might have a few moments chat with his brother when mark found himself in the private secretary's room he was quite astonished to see the change in his brother's appearance which the change in his official rank had produced jack robarts had been a well-built straight-legged lissome young fellow pleasant to the eye because of his natural advantages but rather given to a harem-scarum style of gait and occasionally careless not to say slovenly in his dress but now he was a very pink of perfection his jaunty frock-coat fitted him to perfection not a hair of his head was out of place his waistcoat and trousers were glossy and new and his umbrella which stood in the umbrella stand in the corner was tight and neat and small and natty well john you've become quite a great man said his brother i don't know much about that said john but i find that i have an enormous deal of fagging to go through do you mean work i thought you had about the easiest berth in the whole civil service ah oh, that's just the mistake that people make because we don't cover whole reams of foolscap paper at the rate of fifteen lines to a page and five words to a line people think that we private secretaries have got nothing to do look here and he tossed over scornfully a dozen or so of little notes i tell you what mark 
it is no easy matter to manage the patronage of a cabinet minister now i am bound to write to every one of these fellows a letter that will please him and yet i shall refuse to every one of them the request which he asks that must be difficult difficult is no word for it but after all it consists chiefly in the knack of the thing one must have the wit from such a sharp and waspish word as no to pluck the sting i do it every day and i really think that the people like it perhaps your refusals are better than other people's acquiescences i don't mean that at all we private secretaries have all to do the same thing now would you believe it i have used up three lifts of note-paper already in telling people that there is no vacancy for a lobby messenger in the petty bag office seven peeresses have asked for it for their favourite footman but there there's the lord petty bag a bell rang and the private secretary jumping up from his note-paper tripped away quickly to the great man's room he'll see you at once said he returning buggins show the reverend mr robarts to the lord petty bag buggins was the messenger for whose not vacant place all the peeresses were striving with so much animation and then mark following buggins for two steps was ushered into the next room if a man be altered by becoming a private secretary he is much more altered by being made a cabinet minister robarts as he entered the room could hardly believe that this was the same harold smith whom mrs proudie bothered so cruelly in the lecture-room at barchester then he was cross and touchy and uneasy and insignificant now as he stood smiling on the hearth-rug of his official fireplace it was quite pleasant to see the kind patronising smile which lighted up his features he delighted to stand there with his hands in his trousers pocket the great man of the place conscious of his lordship and feeling himself every inch a minister sowerby had come with him and was standing a little in the background from which position he winked occasionally at the parson over the minister's shoulder ah robarts delighted to see you how odd by the by that your brother should be my private secretary mark said that it was a singular coincidence a very smart young fellow and if he minds himself he'll do well i'm quite sure he'll do well said mark ah well yes i think he will and now what can i do for you robarts hereupon mr sowerby struck in making it apparent by his explanation that mr robarts himself by no means intended to ask for anything but that as his friends had thought that this stall at barchester might be put into his hands with more fitness than in those of any other clergyman of the day he was willing to accept the piece of preferment from a man whom he respected so much as he did the new lord petty bag the minister did not quite like this as it restricted him from much of his condescension and robbed him of the incense of a petition which he had expected mark robarts would make to him 
but nevertheless he was very gracious he could not take upon himself to declare he said what might be lord brock's pleasure with reference to the preferment at barchester which was vacant he had certainly already spoken to his lordship on the subject and had perhaps some reason to believe that his own wishes would be consulted no distinct promise had been made but he might perhaps go so far as to say that he expected such result if so it would give him the greatest pleasure in the world to congratulate mr robarts on the possession of the stall a stall which he was sure mr robarts would fill with dignity piety and brotherly love and then when he had finished mr sowerby gave a final wink and said that he regarded the matter as settled no not settled nathaniel said the cautious minister it's the same thing rejoined sowerby we all know what all that flummery means men in office mark never do make a distinct promise not even to themselves of the leg of mutton which is roasting before their kitchen fires it is so necessary in these days to be safe is it not harold most expedient said harold smith shaking his head wisely well robarts who is it now this he said to his private secretary who came to notice the arrival of some bigwig well yes i will say good morning with your leave for i am a little hurried and remember mr robarts i will do what i can for you but you must distinctly understand that there is no promise no no promise at all said sowerby of course not and then as he sauntered up whitehall towards charing cross with robarts on his arm he again pressed upon him the sale of that invaluable hunter who was eating his head off his shoulders in the stable at caldicott's end of chapter eighteen recording by nick whitley purley united kingdom